Let me do a, a brief intro here. You're about to see a film uh, called Faith Keepers, but before you see the film, you're going to meet someone you've never met before. Uh, Rabbi Richard Green is here with us all the way from Cleveland, Ohio, and apparently it's pretty hot here today. What's the temperature in Cleveland today? Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard Green is a strong supporter of Israel and cares deeply about America's national security. He's a co-founder and executive director of the Clarion Project, which is the um, operation that has produced Faith Keepers. It's a nonprofit organization that educates the public, the public about the dangers of radical Islam. Clarion's award-winning films include other films like Obsession, The Third Jihad, Iranium. Oh, I got to see that. Honor Diaries, By the Numbers, and today's film, Faith Keepers. They've been seen by more than 85 million people. These groundbreaking documentaries expose how radical Islamists use terrorism, murder, subjugation of women, indoctrination of children, religious persecution, genocide of minorities, widespread human rights abuses, nuclear proliferation, or as George W. Bush says, nuclear proliferation, and cultural jihad to threaten the West. Clarion Project Films has been featured on HBO, Netflix, Direct TV, iTunes, and on Fox News, and it scores of mainstream news broadcast publications. The clarionproject.org website delivers news, expert analyses, videos, and unique perspectives about radical Islam while given a platform to moderate Muslims and human rights activists to speak out against extremism. Clarion's experts, spokespeople, appear weekly in U.S. media, reaching millions of people, and have, have advised our government and other nations' governments in the world and trained national local and state law enforcement on the most pressing issues of our time. The Clarion Project engages in grassroots activism to achieve its goals. It is a registered 501c3 organization based in Washington, D.C., and we will be taking up a collection at the end of tonight's film uh, during Q&A, and uh, we ask that you make your checks out to the Clarion Project and your gifts will be tax-deductible. So now, without any further ado, I've asked him to tell us a bit more about himself, Richard Green. He's the father of many wonderful children. Thank you, Pastor. So, um, six children, actually. So it is many. It was accurate, but I'll give you a little more detail. Anyway, I grew up um, on Hilton Head, in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Any of you play tennis or golf? You heard of Hilton Head? So that's where I grew up about when I was 18. I moved to Israel. I spent uh, from 1997 until about three years ago in Israel living. Uh, I ended up studying at a house of, of Jewish thought, a yeshiva. Uh, I studied there for about seven years, got my rabbinical ordination, and then uh, helped to start a really substantial Israel activism organization on college campuses called Hasbara Fellowships, which has, <coughs> excuse me, has become the largest campus activism organization in North America. Uh, 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 and that was a pleasure. It was, it was an honor to do that. Somewhere along the line, we started making some films. Our first film was called Obsession, Radical Islam's War Against the West, which you already heard that we had helped make or we made. 
So that film, just to give you a little background, we made the film uh, in 2005. End of 2005, we entered into a few film festivals. One of them was called the Liberty Film Festival. And that was a pretty substantial festival. And all of a sudden, before we knew it, we, it was entered, and we won the film festival. Immediately, someone pirated the film and put it on Google Video, which is now YouTube, and it's made to number four on Google Video. Right? So the only thing ahead of it was like Britney Spears music videos, things of that nature. There's a 77-minute documentary about radical Islam, a little bit different. So we then went to more and more distributors, and we said, listen, people want to see this type of information. And they said, yeah, but you know, you've had such, such success already that everyone's already seen it. And we said, well, that's interesting. So we took it off of Google Video, put a 12-minute version on. And then before the whole ride was over, we had 12 times shown a special about the film Obsession on Fox News, number one rated the first five times. We sent out about 30 million DVDs all across America, which was 28 million DVDs, actually, which is the largest DVD distribution, uh, as far as I know, in American history. And became one of the most well, uh, uh, it's, there's, there was more copies of Obsession made than almost any film uh, it's up there with Shrek and others. So it, was, it had really changed the dynamic of the conversation about radical Islam in America at that time. Before that, you wouldn't hear the words radical Islam uh, too often. So after that, we made the film The Third Jihad, then Iranium, Honor Diaries, and now Faith Keepers. So all those films were very successful in their own right. Honor Diaries, which is the last film that we produced before this one, the last one we released, was chosen as one of the best documentaries on Netflix and iTunes. It was shown at the UN in Geneva, UN New York, the House of Commons Australia, House of Commons in the UK, and Amnesty International's headquarters and many other places. It made a real big difference with the way the legislative branches in those countries looked at the abuses of women in radical Islam. So we then decided to make this film about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East. So it was interesting, and I'll talk more about it in the questions and answers. I mean, I'll talk a little, bit, a little bit after, before the questions and answers. But it was a real challenge from coming from our viewpoint to make this film. Because on one hand, we're experts on radical Islam, and we have one of the biggest voices in the country about how to speak about what radical Islam is doing in this country and abroad. On the other hand, it's run by two Orthodox Jewish fellows who have a nice-sized staff behind us, in the end, we're not Christians. We're not Christians. So the first question I asked, and this is a question I want you to, to think about as you're seeing the film. First question I asked our staff when they said, we have an idea to make this film, I said, number one, this is going back about two and a half years. I said, don't Christians already know that there's a problem, that there's Muslims killing Christians in the Middle East? And number two is, if they know, why aren't they doing anything about it? Okay. And we got the answer to those two questions. Maybe not categorically. There's many more than two answers. But we got the answer to it. So I want you all to think about that while you're seeing the film. This film is about 50 minutes. Um, uh, we did a soft launch of it earlier this month. And we're expecting to do many, many, many thousands and thousands of showings uh, uh, in the next year or so. So any further ado, if we could start rolling Faith Keepers. Yeah. 
انا بزين وضباص بفر من الحين والحمد لله انفجارات تحصل وقامي وبفر يجي زدي بشارع يعني طلعهم طيل بيت الدري ظرف وكثير ولح وإيش الطلقات بظرف وبيه ولق وكثير بيان إيش الطلقات بقتلوخ بقتلوخ لخ بقتلوخ بيثوثوخ بفرح هلب خكمي ما ثبيوا صندوق دموس بيوا دري أقنطر بيثن ودري ولاقه جاء واحد كثير ولح جوالي ميثوخ لي ليش ديالخ بفر ألفين وثلاثة بديه إشكالات مثواث دينا خضروانا كلهم مشلومانا فكلهم تعديه لنا بتقاطليلخ أو بتخفيلخ أو نفتح الباب مع البيت نلقى أوراق رسائل تهديدات لازم تطلعون من المنطقة أنتم مسيحيين أنتم كفرة أنتم ميسر تعيشون بهالبلد هاي دولة إسلامية ازديوالا يعني يعني حتى بشولة لك بالخ ودؤي كامل لا بطلتن يعني بطلتون لا بطلق له خنهار اخذت المحل يعني كبيره زد اخوه انا حتى اتوني يعني بالقد البشن بخاي يعني مرنوميل يعني داب اوري مناتي ما بوذيبه انا ما بوذيبي يعني قوري ما بوذيبه يعني مي ذنبا يعني بشلن هذا يعني تخو زد اخوه كبيره زد اخوه تشرك منها خطف الطلاب تخطفت ثمانيه طلاب خطفوا واثر منها حصل انفجار باصات انا بزين وضوء باص باثر من الحين والحمد لله انفجارات تحصل وقامي وبطري جيثر تزديب شارع يعني فاق زالوا قم دومت كسا يبقوا معتبرت لك ساحد معركة زديئة بس مجبور يدم دومت آذي يعني كيوك جبرين عندي ألخ بيشق مشلمانة أخني فأني مستحيل يعني ترك غدينا أخني مستحيل ترك غدينا على موت زالوا لي ألخ بخلنا دين وأكيد بتقوى بش حيلة ما قد نستهدي لهم بتقوى بش حيلة ومن دي بش كبيرة دي خسوراي لو دي كمريان كفار يعني لقب سوراي تبيش يقول عراق كبير ازيلا عراق دولة ديي سوراي وانمي لقب خاص شو سوراي يقول عراق قتل خلي
Pastor Martin Neimuller lived during the Nazi period in Germany. He saw what was happening. And he had this quote where he said, when they came for the socialists, I did not protest because I'm not a socialist. When they came for the trade unionists, I didn't protest because I'm not one of them. When they came for the Jews, I was silent because I'm not a Jew. When they came for me, there was no one left to protest. The current status of Christians and other non-Muslim minorities throughout the Middle East is the worst it's been uh, in, one can say, centuries. The Western people treat what's happening to the Christians all across the globe uh, as disparate phenomena, and they don't really connect the dots. This is happening in Egypt, it's happening in Iraq, it's happening in Syria, it's happening in Lebanon, it's happening in Palestine, it's happening in all other uh, countries in the Middle East. At least 21 people were killed when a powerful bomb exploded in front of a crowded Coptic Christian church. In November, Al-Qaeda in Iraq declared open season on all Christians. Gruesome beheadings, mass executions. They call themselves the Islamic State and justify their violent acts by arguing that they are waging jihad or holy war against infidels. In 2014, you have ISIS spreading in Iraq and Syria. And now you see a situation where we've been ethnically cleansed for our religion and our identity by ISIS. As ISIS pushed forward, Christians knew mercy would not be their lot. Tens of thousands of Christians are now fleeing for their lives. The UN says more than 500,000 citizens have fled their homes in Iraq. This stream of people, thousands every hour, has been continuing, I'm told, for days across this bridge. And these people, and we've seen it, will end up tonight sleeping on roadsides, sleeping in ruined, abandoned buildings, because there is simply no place else to go. One of the most terrifying things that is happening across the region in the Middle East is kidnapping of Christians, and it is especially horrifying for women.
بمكان هو لايك مثل مزرعه وبيها بيوت مكان مال حيوانات دخلوني وشدوا ايدي ورجلي وخلوا بلاستر على حلقي نفس المكان كان اكو بنات اثنين وياي انه اللي وياي كانت دكتوره والثانيه الطفله الثانيه كان عمرها about 13 years الدكتور about 35 36 طبعا اول شغله سووها بي انه شعري كان طويل سو زينوني صفر زيرو تعذيب طبعا كانوا يضربونه يوميا whatever شنو ما يكون بيدهم كانوا يطفون جقاير برجلي بالسكينة كانوا يشيلون هذول السكاكين الصغار اختصبوني و البنية اللي عمرها 13 سنة قبل يوم الرابع اختصبوها ستة كانوا صارت بليدينج و وماتت. اني بالذات كان يقول لي قولي الشهاده يعني قولي اشهد لا اله الا الله وهاي حتى نطلعك يعني اني طبعا كنت ما اقبل ما اقول وكان يغلط علي ويغلط على المسيحيين ويغلط على المسيح حكوا ويا هاي الدكتوره اليمي كنا انا وياها قاعدين لك على القاع يقولوا لها اهلك ما قبلوا يدفعون الفديه فلوس واحد من عندهم قلع عينها يعني دخل سكينه بعينها وظلت تقريبا تنزف وماتت يعني فايد اوي ماتت بقيت تقريبا ورا 12 يوم 13 يوم بالضبط من الخطف بعدين صارت هي اتصلوا بالفاميلي مالتي وطلبوا هاندرد ثاوزن من زوجي هو قبل قال ادفع ما يخالف يعني وهمينا من قبل زوجي انه ينطيهم فلوس هم استمروا تعذيب وضرب يضربوني واستلم الفلوس من عندهم من حتى من استلم الفلوس ما فتحوا لايك الحبل كانوا شادي على ايدي وعلى رجلي سلمهم الفلوس وعافوني بنفس المكان ورحب من ذول المزارعين اللي كانوا يزرعون بذيش المنطقة وسمع صوتي يعني دا ورأسا فتح هذول البرجلية وبيدي فقلت لاني مخطوفة انطيت الرقم مع البيت واتصل يعني بأهلي و ما اعرف شلون يعني بالضبط بوقتها اخذوني استلموني. سو so ما كنت يعني اصلا اني ما كنت لا خايفه من الموت ولا خايفه من طريقه التعذيب ولا بس المهم كنت اتمنى انه حتى لو متت اموت واني مسيحيه. The Christian can always save their life if they will just convert, if they will stop being a Christian. But they're unwilling to, and so that's why that's why they're murdered. Even in the middle of all this devastation, 
There is something beautiful going on, and it is the faith of those believers. To say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, means to say, I'm willing to die for this. But when you ask them, was it really worth it? Because you could have converted to Islam very easily, and you know, kept everything, and they said it was worth it. And if we were given the choice again, we will do exactly the same. In many ways, what we are seeing now in the Middle East is quite similar to what happened to the Armenians hundred years ago. Although the Turks have been massacring Armenians for over two centuries and forcefully Islamizing them under the cover of World War I, they became a target. The Armenians and Assyrians and other Christians in the region who were brutally persecuted, crucified, decapitated, raped, and so forth, was because it was portrayed as a jihad. The children, the younger ones, they were seen as the hope, as the hope for the family to continue, the people to continue. So they would send them off in batches. Uh, a lot of times they would travel in darkness and others would help them. Uh, they would give them a little cash, some food in a bag, and, and just something that they would carry with them, and uh, they would walk. My grandparents traveled by foot, and they traveled from today East Turkey through Iraq, through Syria, and they settled in Egypt. On my recent trip to uh, Armenia, Turkey, and Iraq, we visited four refugee camps, and when we were in one of the camps, I saw a young man that was maybe 14. And uh, this young man had lost both his parents. He was there with a younger sister, maybe at the age of six or seven. And uh, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He was all of a sudden the man of the house. And all of a sudden, I remembered my grandfather, who had walked. Now, I speak Arabic being raised in Egypt, so I was able to speak in Arabic and encourage him and tell him, listen, I'm here to show you hope. My grandparents were exactly where you are today. Their family was gone. Their belongings were gone. Their home was gone. Everything was gone. They had nothing but their younger sibling. But they kept on with hope. They kept on with faith. And I exist today because they didn't give up. Within just a few decades of the Armenian, Assyrian, and Greek genocide, the Middle East witnessed yet another campaign of ethnic cleansing. Well, the Jewish communities in the Middle East and in North Africa were living there for thousands of years. In the middle of the 20th century, all the Jews disappeared from all these countries.
I was 16 plus uh, when uh, when we when my father decided that this time has come to try and escape, and that is in the backdrop of of uh, of the public hangings in uh, January 69. There were nine innocent Jews who were all hanged that morning, uh, and the bodies were shown in public squares of of Baghdad and of Basra. People were dancing under the bodies. So by the time 1971 arrived. We had no choice. We had no choice. There was not a life. It was really a walking death. So um, my father said, we are going to try and escape. Uh, we will have a few days until we reach safety. I, I, I feel it as if it was yesterday, how we set up, how we left the house, how we had to pretend that we were just going around, you know, just for the uh, couple of hours, um, and how we got into the car. Uh, final look at the house, uh, final look at all the things that was in the house, um, my treasured school reports, my collections, my stamp collection, my, my uh, key ring, uh, my matchboxes, the, uh, you name it, everything that we have accumulated in a lifetime. Was just going to be left behind. Then there were the checkpoints, and the checkpoints were terrifying uh, when it when they arrive because you can see the slow signs and then you get there and then the, you lower the windows and the guns gets into the car and then they ask uh, my father to step out with his paperwork and then you're sitting in the car you don't know what to do you don't know my grandmother was praying in a loud voice um, and we were begging her not to and my father would have to convince them why do we want to be uh, picnicking uh, in that part of Iraq. And my father would assure them that all we have to do is to another few kilometers and then, and then we'll come back and so on and so forth until we had to cross the mountains to Iran all in total and absolute darkness because these mountains were exposed and if there was a, a light of the car then it would be shot. So. That was really the most frightening part of the journey. At one stage, the car just stopped, right? There was nothing, there was just a hill, and it was getting cold. The person who was driving it instructed everybody to get out of the car, completely out, out, out. And we were saying, are you going to abandon us? Where are we here? And he said, don't worry, now you are safe. And we were like looking at each other and it was the release of almost eight years of hell. They called this ethnic cleansing. This is the real world. Let's face it. Today, you can see the same happening to the Christians. If we don't care now, the statistics later will be mind-boggling. We must think not about religion or Christianity in the abstract. We're talking about real people. We're talking about families who for generations have lived their faith, are wanting to pass on their faith peacefully. What is taking place in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq, 
is genocide. It meets the official definition of the United Nations. It is the eradication of a particular ethnic religious group, and they are facing ex extinction. One aspect of genocide is the destruction of historical artifacts, because these extremists are trying to make it as if these people never existed. This video purports to show the radicals destroying Nimrud, one of the most important archaeological sites in Iraq. In the past week, ISIS vandals took hammers to ancient relics in the nearby Mosul Museum. We're seeing 5,000 years of history being erased in just a matter of a few months. We're seeing this kind of destruction of antiquities, history that we can never get back. It is not by chance that they are targeting not only communities, but also their very heritage. Churches, mosques, shrines, temples, cultural historical sites. The church that dates back to the fourth century in my village doesn't belong to my village and doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the whole world. These people have lost everything. They've lost their homes, their land, their safety, their history. And yet when you visit these IDP camps, when you visit these refugee camps, among the young people, there's still an incredible resilience and incredible hope. What do you want to be when you grow up? All those people here, before they have their big houses, but now they lose everything. What do you miss most about character? Mass immigration to the point where the lands are emptied of its indigenous people does not work for the very simple reason that we are tied to our land. They don't want to leave. They want to be there. They, they want to be in their villages. They want to be where their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers walk. And they shouldn't have to leave. We risk the possibility that, that Christian communities present in the Middle East uh, might cease to exist. So right now you have a very small, faint candle flicker of a light that is our people. And for every church that is blown up, every town that is emptied of indigenous Christians, you are one step closer, one flicker of the wind closer to that little faint flame being extinguished and us not existing anymore. These fanatics hate Christians. In the beginning, they want to get rid of them, chase them away. And if you allow them to continue and the world does nothing, their final aim is to rid the world of Christians. This is happening, first of all, 
above and beyond the Middle East. This is in sub-Saharan Africa. The Islamist extremist group Boko Haram have said they carried out a wave of fatal Christmas Day bombings against churches in Nigeria. It's in as far as Indonesia, the Philippines. It's happening in even European areas that have large Muslim populations. Scenes of carnage at six different locations across Paris. At least 129 people were killed in Friday's attacks, which Islamic State says it carried out. Breaking news from San Bernardino, California. The worst extremist attack on America since 9-11. A rampage now believed to have been inspired by the Islamic State. Pledging allegiance to the leader of ISIS as the couple turned a holiday party into a killing field. Terror attacks in Brussels and tonight the casualties mounting with multiple explosions at the airport and then in the subway. According to a new report, ISIS has unprecedented levels of support inside America. ISIS terrorists in all 50 states. We must fight extremism not only for the sake of our brothers and sisters, but also because they are at the front line against an enemy that has clearly shown us that it will bring the fight wherever it can. ISIS released a new video today showing the execution of 21 Coptic Christians. The video shows the Egyptian prisoners being marched onto a beach by militants dressed in black. Then the prisoners are beheaded brutally. Christians in Egypt uh, go back to really um, the second century or, or even earlier. You know, Saint Mark, the evangelist who wrote the, the gospel of the same name, is the one who evangelized Egypt. To the Coptic community, faith is everything. It's the one thing that sustained them throughout these 1400 years of Islamic rule of Egypt. And they were able to maintain their religious identity, they were able to maintain their large, large number. And to maintain that number throughout 1400 years of persecution for most part and discriminations for the other part of it, is all because of faith. For me, growing up as a Christian in Egypt was a, um, a tough, uh, a tough process. Actually, laws and regulations and everything that was on the books kind of treated you as a second-class citizen. For generations, cops have had to put up with the unspoken rule that bars them from holding senior positions in the government, army, or security services. And during outbursts of Islamist terrorism here, Christians were targeted. Churches are routinely bombed and burned. A car packed with explosives and parked right in front of the church burst into flames. The apparent suicide bombing killed at least 21 people and wounded 97 more. We've had over 60 churches burned in one day on August 6, 2013. Mobs began attacking Christian churches.
Coptic Christian women and girls are often abducted and kidnapped. On the 17th of August, they declared me a Muslim, and a couple of days later, a marriage contract was drawn up in a car. While a state does nothing for Christian girls being abducted and forcefully converted into Islam, Muslim converts to Christianity face terrible consequences. Muslim converts to Christianity in Egypt, and they are not few, face a lot of uh, uh, persecution. Muslims who wish to convert to Christianity are often arrested, and uh, there's usually a pretext given that's not because they converted. They'll say something like sedition or, or something else, and, and it can get to the point that you get killed. A Pew Research survey finds nearly 90% of Egypt's Muslims believe those who leave Islam should be killed. After I finished my high school, I went to the law school in Alexander to become a lawyer. I witnessed the persecution and the discrimination that took place against the minorities in Egypt, especially the Christian minorities in Egypt, which make me wonder why there is persecution happening to the Christian minority there. It's my belief that you don't torture or persecute somebody unless you are scared from the truth that they carry. I start to read the Bible. I start to believe in Christianity. I converted from Islam to Christianity. On August 15, 1998, I was arrested. I was taken to Abu Zabel prison, what we call back home hell on earth. And I was tortured for seven days. From shaving the hair of my head, putting my head in cold and hot water, to hang me upside down, uh, beating me, release dogs to attack me, to crucifying me, for two days and a half. And in the end, they made cut in the, my left shoulders to the bone and they put salt and lemon in the open wounds. I don't know how many people believe in miracles and how many people doesn't believe in miracles. Before they released the three dogs to attack me, I prayed. And when they released the three dogs, the three dogs refused to attack me. They are trained to listen to their master. But it's in my opinion, there is no higher master than Christ. And that's how God saved me from these three dogs to attack me. And that was my miracle. Until now, I have nightmares. My nightmares is not about my torture. My nightmares is about when they put me in the prison. It was a torture section. It was underground. And there was other nine rooms beside my room that they used to torture the people. And you can hear women getting raped men getting tortured, and they will scream from pain and they will ask for mercy. Until now, I can hear them in my sleep. The Egyptian government charged me with three charges, that I tried to make a revolution again in the Egyptian government, that I tried to change the official religion of Egypt from Islam to Christianity, which I didn't, and that I love and I worship Christ. And I would tell you what I told the judge in this day. If loving and worshiping Christ is a crime, I am guilty as charged. And after that, they give me a death penalty, which usually takes place by hanging. After that, I was able to escape before my death penalty take place. I escaped to Sinai. And when I escaped to Sinai, my friends told me, you cannot leave the country, you are on the blacklist. And you cannot skip to any another country, really, because Egypt surrounded by Arab Muslim countries. So if we went to Libya, Sudan, 
in Saudi Arabia, all of these countries will re-arrest you, will torture you, will send you back. So the only country that was not Arab Muslim state was Israel, the Jewish state. And what I know about Israel or the Jewish people at the time, that the enemy of my enemy is my friends. It was a simple logic. So I took a jet ski, I was able to escape from Taba to Elat, and I became a free man in Jerusalem. Many people aren't aware that even Muslim minorities are persecuted by their fellow Muslims. For a deadly car bomb attack at a mosque, the explosion rocking morning prayers and killing four. Muslim Sunnis are persecuted by Muslim Shiites in such places as Iran or Iraq. Shia militias have killed dozens of Sunni civilians. Attacks against towns or Sunni mosques are frequent. And Muslim Shiites are persecuted by Muslim Sunnis in places like Saudi Arabia and Bahrain. A suicide bomb is struck at a Shia mosque in Saudi Arabia. You're talking about a, a disease that is not affecting one group alone, but it's affecting everybody. And that's something might be controversial to some people, but this is the fact. We cannot change realities. This is the fact, and we have to protect these people. Of all the non-Christian minorities facing persecution today, the persecution of the Yazidi people, who've lived in Iraq for thousands of years, is possibly the most painful to witness. When thousands of Yazidis fled in ISIS onslaught, many brought with them horrific memories. According to a United Nations report, ISIS then gathered all males older than 10 years of age, took them outside the village by pickup trucks, and shot them. But the women suffer a fate that may be worse than death, sold into slavery, sometimes many times over, to suffer unimaginable brutality. Captive women have been bought and sold across Iraq and Syria like cattle. He showed me a letter and said, this shows any captured woman will become Muslim if 10 ISIS fighters rape her. Then, Noor says, he raped her. After that, he gave her to his friends. She says each one raped her. How many men did he pass you to? One day, there were 14 girls with me. They tried to kill themselves by drinking rat poison. But they took them to the hospital and cleaned their stomach. They told us, we'll not let you die so easy. We're talking about child sexual trafficking, the rape and the sale of children on a stunning scale.
فوراها قررنا يعني انه بعد ما بهم جلسه لازم نطلع من من المنطقه نطلع من البلد سو بدينا نحضر اوراق وشغلات حتى نسافر تقريبا ورا اربع ايام من اربع ايام خمس ايام رجعت للبيت هو كان بسيارته راجع من من شغله فطلعنا انا وابني شفنا سياره ثانيه وقفت وراه ونزلوا اربعه حسن لزموا ايده ورجله ومسيلوا على كل شيء ورايدوا يقطعوا راسي واستمرت التهديدات تجيني وراها انه لازم تعوفين البيت ولازم تعوفين الغراض ولازم تعوفين السيارات ولازم فقررت انه يعني خلص اخذ اطفالي واطلع بذيك الفتره اللي انا يعني مقرره بيها اطلع دخلوا علي بالليل ثلاثة أو أربعة كانوا كان عندنا فلوس كان عندنا ذهب بالبيت أخذوهم من عندي وانطوني 24 hours قالوا لي لازم طلعين من المنطقة وراها اضطريت أنه أخذ أطفالي وأطلع لسوريا لأنه ابني كان واقف يعني شاف أبوه من ينذبح صار أخرس يعني ما يحكي طبعا سوريا هي بلد مشهوره بالكنائس وادره بهوايه مكانات صلاه كانوا يحكون على دير القديسه هاي التقله هو بمكان عالي يعني بالجبل سو سعدت واني حافيه بدون شوز وظليت اصلي وابكي و طبعا اثناء هاي الاحداث فقدت ابويا فقلت انه خلص يعني فاقده ناس هوايه زوجي ابويا سو قلت يعني اريد ابني بس يحكي على مود يعني هو اللي ثاني يوم دايركت ثاني يوم قعد الصبح وكان يقول لي مام اريد تسوي لي بريكفاست هو يعني بالنسبه لي كان شيء مفرح انه انا كنت مصره ما اسافر انه ارجع بس خلال السنة اللي بقيت بيها السورية دا أسمع هواية الأحداث بالعراق والقتل والخلاص إنه البلد يعني ما بي مجال للرجعة وإجاني يعني إنه يعني قبلوني إنه أجي هنا بس كان شيء مفرح إلي لأنه مستقبل كان أطفالي
those who were able to escape from ISIS did not do so unscathed. Every refugee I've spoken to has been left with scars from a horror that they will never forget. باني اثناء قطيهن كهرباء اللن وقطيهن ما يقلن بشكل كل الامدادات يكافئ عن طريق موصل يشتغل بعدين تقريبا تريلر في ار بي يومي هذا قلب منسحب لجيش دواعش يورد بخمش بخمش وخنب قدمته في الاخوني وبراقة ووزيلة بحراسة في البراقة ولدي اوري داعش للقش واخذني مثل المسدوثن ما وذلي اني بشمرقه مخيله طلقات تقات راسي ناشي كل ناش لملي اماني وبقلن انقش هاونات بقد بغداد داعش نبش محاصره ويتقوات خضروانه لكيت مينا قاعد تحصل لأبي أخني عفلة ما ستن تولم السيارة تقريبا أخني السبع نفرات يخب سيارة زرتة يعني تري أطفال مني أنا وقوري وبيني شواثي وأثناء مديخ كزالا يعني ازدحامات كلش وخني تيوب سيارة ناشك دعميلا سايد دي زالة بيشة دي زالة سايد دي ثاية بيشة دي زالة جزرة وسطية بيشة دي زالة أيكي تندوك دقرقشة سيارة بيشة دي زالة ترمبيلا قام هابو كيفن جيبو من ترمبيلا خوسوارو من زاروية خوان القرتن دام در كيفن طبعا السرقوة الشارعة فرعي هناك زارو مديد كشتيبون هناك زلامت كشتيبون جينكت كشتيبون كشتيستر شارعيبون أزبارتكم ست طلقة بيتر هذا أما بترمبيلا مفوز نساكنين حس الطلقات لا تطل دقيقة لك إذا تاني طلقات أعدائنا وأصدقائنا داير مدايرة طلقات لقيت إم طيخة بقاوة ولكن تدمنا إذا الساعة بيشتن توتر زائدا خوف زائدا شغلة أنا أطفال صراخة وبخارة يعني أنا إنشي لك إذا أخني بأي لحظة بأي لحظة ممكن الدارلين يعني بأي لحظة ممكن بأبرق ممكن الدارلين أني أبري رابا كان مريم ماما زقط لي لان يعني زنقشي لان طلقات وهادخ مندي فأخني يعني بسنق مهدخلي وكمخلي لا ليث مندي ولقط لي لان منن وهادخ وبشلان بخا بخا وضعية أخني يعني بس بخخ أنا وماما وأني عجاية ربي يعني أمهل وسلان ربيش كده خميخ كوز خميخ وأخني بنزينا نبخالصوا أخني سيارة كيم حملتها وإذا مرنا اختمالينا فاري كنت خناق طيخة واشترن آخر شي من وادي يعني عاصفة وادي أول مرة يرقشوا بقاية سيارة مضبطنا الأرخة بداثة واشترن سيارة علم بعلاقة بثوثي بشواقة بثوثي لك يا ذي مع الديميثي ديميثي مكبنا بدياثة قطليلة 
ديتامخي بشوارع ليث لبلا لا يستخمل تقيبين بعراقة بس بعراقة مناش هذا سيارة بصر سيارة وعلمة بعراقة بعيوت وبخايا بخايا القرى ايوه بي عدان يعني اي مندي دحصد لك زينا موثب اينان هما أصدقائك سيشكس هذه ما بقد يستقرر عنا زايمة يعني حتى ابن الفلسطيني من كارن بن ميم حتى ابن الرازاني من كارن رازم ديم ترساوان البلاء ماذا يا كشتناوان البلاء ماذا يا هما أفا إيش قلنا ما ليه بنشغلخ مننا نصديق يا أخفا إيش قلنا ما ليه بنشغلخ مننا عفلاً حلم دي أنا بثرينان رقلاً مؤرقلاً إنشيناً وبناثاً وأطفالاً كلنا جماعة خخ خلصي مداعش عفلاً أراثاً عفلاً ذكرى جديداً عفلاً كل من دي أرقلاً The world many times over has vowed never again and then another another atrocity comes and we say never again and if we're going to say never again then we should actually do something often people will say it's so overwhelming to read the paper or to hear the news and they say what can one person do um, there is a certain frustration I, I will be the first to admit that uh, sometimes when you see a, a massive problem you feel helpless you, you really don't know what to do if people are opening their hearts and minds to this and are learning about this they cannot walk away saying we'll pray for them and we'll feel bad for them and that's all we can do you have a voice and doesn't matter how small is your voice you can make a difference even if you are just one person what we try to do is connect a system where we can connect from the broad to the homeland. If somebody in the U.S. or in Europe wants to send any kind of help or any kind of direct impact, we're basically like a bridge. I mean, that's our strength is, is abroad. And if they can help us to uh, strengthen ourselves in our homeland, you know, why not? There's a cry for help from here. And, you know, these small things like coloring books, something as simple as this five-year-old child, we remember it forever. And that's what we try to focus on, just making the kids forget about the situation for a couple of days. This new wave of ISIS is not something new. It's something that we've dealt with for a very long time. This is how the Middle East went from being really Christian majority, which most people don't even know at this point, to being almost entirely Muslim in certain areas. And so there, in fact, there's regions right now that have no Christians at all, but a century ago they did. It is pretty much, unless something fairly dramatic is done, we will see the extinction of Christianity in that region. We're watching a real genocide unfold in real time. And when something happens on the other side of the world, we know it immediately here. And that knowledge bears with it responsibility.
all that is needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. There are some things in life that are worth fighting for. Uh, freedom is worth fighting for. Okay, protection of your family is worth fighting for. Stopping genocide is something worth fighting for. شقالة أراثن بخطالة قاون وشانش لا بخيار الله وصيث على المقايب بخطاليح بجوريح مألوقيح ودول رابطي وفرج الله فرج وليل براي شو مندي قاي قاي البراي هذا قيمي اما تغذكم لي اذا لك طرب قيمي اما نفسك تخل حقا So the documentary you just saw will be a very substantial film. We need to make as much of a difference as possible in speaking a language that people understand. How many of you learned something just now? Everyone in this crowd, everyone in this audience is a very strong Christian. Otherwise, you wouldn't have known about the show and you wouldn't have been here. We're in the heartland. We're in Texas. If there's any people that would be educated about this, it would be you all. And you came out on a Sunday, and you wanted to get more educated, which is great news. But at the same time, coming from a Jewish guy's perspective, it's very hard to understand the apathy in the Christian community. Extremely difficult to understand it. And while I appreciate people coming out and people seeing the film, uh, it's, it's amazing. The road that we have to go along to get millions and millions and millions of people to see this film is one that I want all your help with. Right? You're one of the first groups who have seen the film. And with that information a certain amount of power, right? We, we made the film in order for people to be able to use it as a tool, as a resource, to show others in perhaps a way that we wouldn't be able to convey otherwise. 
oftentimes I ask people to close their eyes and, and think of Moses. And when they open them, I say, it's not Charlton Heston, right? Because films really create a reality in so many ways. And when you have a tool that can actually educate en masse, then all of a sudden you have a situation which you can make a difference. So I had asked two questions when I finished speaking the first time. And right after I, I tried to answer those questions, we'll open it up for, for, for any questions that the audience might have. Question number one that I asked our filmmaking crew, don't Christians already know this? How many, what percentage of Christian leaders, this is old information, this is going back two years, do you think know that there was, there is Muslim on Christian violence in the Middle East? You shout out an answer. How many, how many, what's percentages? People know. People know. We did a focus group. And in that focus group, we asked Christian leaders, lay leaders, what percentage of you know that there is Muslim on Christian violence in the Middle East? Not using the word genocide, violence, 30% of them knew. 30% of them knew. Shocking. To me, shocking. To me, shocking. It's shocking. Next focus group. We show them clips of the film that became Faith Keepers. They now understand that there's an issue. Why aren't you all doing anything about it? Next question. Because if you can't answer these two questions, there's no reason to make the movie. Right? Is there a need? There's a need. Only 30% of church leadership knows. Can you make a difference? That's the que next question. The answer to that question was, a res was pretty resounding. The answer is we want to do something, right? But no one really explained to us what the problem really was, right? And in a very non-prejudiced way, I want to, I want to make sure that's very clear, they, most Christians that we spoke to in these focus groups didn't understand that the people in the Middle East were really Christian. Like they, they look different than us. Are they Arab? Are they Christian? Are they Muslim? What, what are they? I'm just confused. I'm confused. So you'll see... One of the first things we do in the film is we have a kid that looks like any of our children could look, right? Blonde hair, blue eyes, looks kind of just like us, just like our children, right? And then we have, it's replete with stories of Christians who had the decision to make. Do we convert or do we die? And we found out, and we figured out in these focus groups, and it's something that has has never really been told and this hasn't been communicated effectively that once it's proven to an American Christian audience that these are indeed Christians, they want to take action, right? And the way to do that is for to show that there's persecution and these people would not convert because of their faith. That connects the dots. So now we have a methodology in which we can communicate effectively the problem that we have empirically proven that there is, which is a lack of knowledge, right? And that's why we made the film. That's why we made the film. So I hope you all will, will join us in, in, in fighting 
in this battle in order to promote human rights, promote Christians. How many of you want to see the extinction of, of Christianity in our lifetimes? How many of you want to see the in the Middle East, outside of Israel, a situation in which no more Christians are there? We're on the precipice. We're on the precipice. You might be able to do something about it now. You might not be able to do something about it in a few years. So the question that's going to be asked to all of us, and in my family I know it was asked oftentimes, and you'll be able to relate to the question even though you you didn't have it firsthand. Why did the American Jewish community, or why in Europe, did the Jews allow the Holocaust to happen to them? Right? Why don't we fight more? Why don't we do more to make it? Why? And there's a lot of answers to that question. But now think about yourselves, every one of you sitting in these chairs. Your children and grandchildren are going to ask you a question. You're going to tell them about Christianity. And you're going to explain to them the cradle of his existence. And then you're going to have to explain to them, God forbid, nothing's happens, why, it's, why there's no more Christians left in that region. God forbid. And they're going to say, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you do more? And I hope that all of us will be part of the solution and not part of the apathy. And we'll be able to answer our children. But it won't be an answer to that question. They'll say, it's amazing. I look at the history books, and I, I see that there's a genocide against Christians in the Middle East. And this was happening in 2016, 2017, 2018. And, it's, and there's still Christians there. How did, how did you guys do that? How did you succeed where others haven't? And you'll be able to explain them the story of how you all did something. You all made a difference. You all stood up for your own brethren in the Middle East. So are there any questions, thoughts? Yeah, so, so the question is, um, uh, the predecessor to, to this showing was we had a showing at Anna Stacy's house some months ago, and, uh, um, uh, and I, I, Mr. Stacy's here. So um, is Anne here? She had to leave. Oh, there you are. Right. I saw you before. So um, the question was asked. They said, you know, we know that there's a lot of immigration happening. This was a few months ago where immigration was a much bigger topic than it is right now. There's a lot of Muslim immigration to America, or there's the, or, or thought of to be, but there's no Christian immigration from Muslim countries to America. And why is that? So if you want to put on your Republican hat, right, it's just red meat. It's because of the Democrats, it's because of the Democrats, it's because of the Democrats. Is that really true, right? Is that really true? What's happening there right now is that there are UN camps. Okay, so the UN has created a situation in which if you want to leave, if, if you want to migrate or immigrate to another country because your life is in danger, 
you have to go to a UN camp, and then you get a certain status, and then through that status, you have a chance of getting to America or getting to Canada or wherever it is you want to go. The problem is, put yourselves in that situation. You're now fleeing ISIS in Iraq, right, or in Syria, and you want to go to one of these camps. But if you go there, who's there with you? A bunch of people who want to kill you. You got once from the, what's the expression, from the frying pan, and so what's the expression from the frying? From the frying pan right to the fire, right? And you could be killed there even more easily than you could be killed back in wherever you came from. So we created a situation, the UN did, in which Christians do not feel safe in these camps. As a result, they can't migrate. They can't get out of, they can't get out of danger. So what they end up doing is they end up staying outside the camps. And uh, there has been some very positive developments as a result. Um, but that's why you don't see a mass migration of Christians to the Middle East to America, number one. There's a second reason. This is something that uh, I, I feel incumbent to, to, to explain uh, in, in more detail, but I'm, I'm not going to. From our Western sensitivities, we put ourselves in the situation of these people, and we say, we'd want to come to America, we want to come to the West. The question is, is that what they want? If you're a Christian that's lived there for 1,500 years, you got kicked out of your house. ISIS killed some of your family. Do you then want to leave that area, or do you want to go back and defend it because it's your ancestral homeland? So the answer in mass is they want to go back. They don't want to leave. This is their land. There's no reason they have to leave. We're going to beat ISIS, and why can't I go back after that? So um, the, the, I don't know how realistic it is in mass. Now, I don't know how much you all know of, of the geography of, of Iraq, right? But it happens to be that if you look at the, in the northern area, right, that's where, where the Kurds live, right? So we'll call it Kurdistan for now, even though it's not officially Kurdistan yet. So we'll call it Kurdistan. So right on the, on the border of Kurdistan was where all the Christians lived. So it was real easy for them to get up north, right, and then to be protected by the Kurdish soldiers, which is amazing. It's amazing. Now, there's been some, some problems there, and we can talk about that more if you're interested. But um, uh, 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 right now, they have a nice part of, part of what we're calling Kurdistan, right, even though it's not its own nation state yet, in which Christians are protected, and they have autonomy, right? They have, they're protected there, at least. Uh, uh, mostly, and then um, uh, uh, once ISIS is defeated, do they go back now, which is only a few miles south, back to their homeland? So the issue is twofold. Number one is there's bombs all over the place. Right? So you're walking around, and a place hasn't been completely, uh, the, all the landmines haven't been taken out. Someone's kid, God forbid, could be blown up, killed, missing a leg, whatever. So you have to completely sweep that area, which is not as easy as you as one would think, number one. Number two is they have to look at their neighbors who a year ago or two years ago or three years ago that they've been friendly with for a thousand years came in 
and helped ISIS loot, plunder, and destroy everything they had worked up to up to that point. So that's not going to be so easy. So what will likely happen is the, the, those areas will get mind-swept and whatnot, and they'll have very controlled areas where people can live. But for the most part, they'll stay in what will become Kurdistan, right? And that's where Christianity will blossom in the Middle East again. Any other questions? Well, they don't want to. They don't want to. The, the organizations who are trying to push them to come here are, are uh, for the most part, the, they're, they're not successful because they don't. the Christians don't want to come. Yeah. So really what you want to do is you want to um, push Congress for there to be a, an, a, a, a Kurdish state, which we're already, we, we've already kind of signed up, that that's a, that's a good thing, um, and then just create a situation in which it, it becomes easier and, you know, there, there will be more bills and whatnot, but in the end, it will become a UN issue, um, and the Kurds really have to decide when they want to when they want to say, "Okay, this is Kurdistan. We're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna do it." Have I heard of the Iraqi Plain Project? No, I haven't heard of it. Yeah, very familiar with Philos. Yeah, yeah, they're doing a lot of great endeavors. Philos is out of New York. It's doing a lot of, uh, of great things in terms of helping Christians in the Middle East. Um, uh, we work with them hand in glove. So it might be that that's come across, and I just don't remember. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I'm not as aware of it as probably some other people who have been working more hands-on with the with uh, the Iraqis. We had a, our national security analyst's name, uh, we have a, a, uh, one national security analyst that you, that you might have seen on Fox News a lot. His name is Ryan Morrow. He's on uh, as a national security uh, advisor on Fox News probably once every other day or so. Um, some days more, some days less, some weeks more, some days, weeks less. So uh, him and our legal analyst, analyst uh, Jennifer Breeden, went to Iraq uh, about two months ago. And we saw firsthand, and they got have a tremendous amount of material firsthand on, on what's going on there and, and how we can help most effectively. The overwhelming answer is, that um, those who are there, Christians who are there, the number one thing they ask us is that they want their story told. Number one, we want our story told. That's number one. Number two is if people want to give aid, they should give aid, but the aid should go towards um, uh, helping us rebuild as opposed to water, food, and shelter. They feel as if they kind of already have that. It, may, it should always be better, don't get me wrong, but that's, that's where they want this to go. Um, uh, 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 and third, of course, they don't necessarily know the way American politics work is they want congress congressional, uh, something to happen in Congress to help them uh, in a more formal way. There's actually, it's interesting, it's interesting, um, it's interesting what's happened of late. There is now a uh, Christian militia fighting with the Kurds. Um, and this has only happened in the last few weeks. Uh, uh, against ISIS, and they formally asked, they have been fighting against ISIS for a long time, that that's not new, um, but they've actually formally asked the American government for support now. So now it's, back, it's in the government's hand if they're going to give them uh, military support 
for specifically the Christian militias who are fighting against ISIS in Iraq. So we'll see how that, 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 that will become inside baseball more, but you might start seeing some more stories about that popping up on, on news. Any other questions, thoughts? All right.